You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Okay, good morning. You guys can have a seat. It's good, to, uh, it's good to come together again this morning and um, to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, if you're joining us online, we just want to say thanks for joining us. And if you want to let us know on whatever platform you're using, that'd be great. And uh, we are in the book of Genesis this morning. Uh, we uh, covered, uh, we've covered up to chapter 2, verse 3 uh, last week. We ended uh, by just... Uh, understanding uh, the importance of rest, the way that God has made life to, to be, to, to work on six, to take one day, to rest, to worship. And uh, this morning, we're, we're getting into a new section of Scripture, uh, a new section in Genesis. And as we've been thinking about it, I've, I've entitled this morning's sermon, Your Kingdom Come. Your Kingdom Come. You may think about uh, when Christ was with his disciples and they were observing him pray, and they said, would you teach us how to pray? And he said, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you, as you pray that, I, I wonder what, what, what comes to your mind when you think about God's kingdom coming on this earth as it is in heaven? What would, what would that look like? And as I thought about the text this morning, I, I believe it would look a lot like Genesis 2, 4 through 17 that we're going to be studying this morning. That's what God's kingdom would look like if it was to come in, uh, to, onto this earth today. And uh, the implications are that as we seek to serve him, these are the things that we ought to be striving for, understanding. Uh, as, we, as we're going to study this section, I, I want us again to just note how awesome our God is. Um, as we looked at the, the first six days of creation, how could you not be in awe of him? And as we get into him being called Yahweh now, the covenant God versus just Elohim, we're reminded that he's a very personal, loving, powerful God. And uh, my prayer would be by the time we're done here this morning, we're, we're so thankful that we get to know him that we're so thankful that we get to serve him and that we would leave here better worshipers than what we came in. So let me pray for us and then we're just going to get right into it because there's a lot to cover. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning um, that we've had this time already to, to sing your praises. Uh, Lord, truly you are worthy of our praise. All that we have is from you, God. All that we are is from you. Lord, we enjoy life today because you have given it. And so, Lord, we, we desire as we look to your word now to have submissive hearts. God, would you teach us more about who you are and, and Lord, your, your plan for this creation. And Lord, would you, would you help us, Lord, to, to submit to you, to, um, to see that your ways are good. God, I would pray that uh, we would lean not on our own understanding, but Lord, we'd lean upon the power of your Spirit's understanding, Lord, as we, as we study your word today. 
and that, Lord, we would not be just hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. So, God, speak through this preacher. Help him to speak your words with clarity for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we all need Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Maybe you rushed out the door, you forgot it this morning. Uh, maybe you don't have a Bible. Whatever the case, if you don't have a Bible with you, just slip up your hand. The ushers will be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. Uh, but we're going to study Genesis chapter 2. So let's turn there together, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 17 this morning. Genesis 2, 4 through 17. And it begins, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." What does God's kingdom look like? This is what we want to look at this morning. First, we see God's people. First, we see God's people. We're going to see this in verses 4 through 7. Now, just to kind of set the stage, maybe, you know, when your initial times of reading Genesis 1 and 2, you're like, oh, I thought we already did creation. What's, what's Genesis 2 about? Well, Genesis 2 is not a, 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 an opposing creation account, as some have said, but rather it's a shift in focus. Um, this is indicated by what we read in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Uh, the, the, this word for generations, it's a teledoth. It's a title. We're going to see this word used 10 different times in the book of Genesis. It's, it's setting the next stage. We're done with the last section and now we're moving into a new section. And what Typically, is, is these are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Adam. But here we're seeing it's the generations of the heavens and the earth. In this particular section, we're going to go from chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 4, verse 26. And when you think about that section and what's being described here, it's what happened to creation. Well, 
humanity becomes the central focus as we think about that. And if you've been in church for very long, you know that after Genesis 2 comes Genesis 3, which is where sin comes into the world. Man is created. We're going to see this morning. It's an amazing place that, God, that Adam gets to live in. But sin comes into the world, and therefore the curse and all, uh, and, and Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. It's, again, remember, M- Moses is telling this to the people in the wilderness. This is what's going on. They're in the wilderness, and, and they're about to enter into the promised land. That's going to be a key thought as we go through here. But he's telling them, look, we're, you're about to go in, but let me tell you about what happened. Now, they've seen in Genesis 1 that the earth was what? It was very good. And they're kind of like, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not, sometimes there's problems, right, <laughs> on this earth. So what happened? Well, this is the account of that. That's what the whole point of this section is. Three times the word blessing was used in chapter 1, at top to chapter 2, verse 3. Now, in this section, we're going to see the word curse used three times. There's a shift here in focus. And Moses is going to give a detailed account of how sin has entered the world and changed it drastically. Ross puts it like this, the magnitude of the sin and destruction can be fully understood only when the nature and purpose of humankind is understood. To know what God had invested in human life and what he had expected of it is to know what was lost at the fall. What, what, what did we lose as a result of sin coming into this world? This is what we're going to see highlighted this morning. We're going to see paradise on this earth. This is what we've lost as a result of sin coming to this earth. You'll note, in, as I've already mentioned, the first chapter, God is called Elohim, God, the one who is powerful, the one who is out there. But now we see this term, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh, the covenant name that was given to Israel, I am Yahweh the one who is faithful to his people, Yahweh Elohim. He is the one that we're focusing on now. Matthew says this, the personal presence of Yahweh Elohim among his people Israel was not an anomaly, but the pattern God inaugurated from the beginning. This is the whole point. In the same way that I am with you now, Israel, as they're in the wilderness, and I've chosen you to be my God, to be your God, I was with Adam and Eve. Moses now focuses on how mankind came to be on this earth. So the focus here is day six. If you're kind of tracking the days, this is day six. And we read in verse five, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work on the ground. Wait a minute. I was listening pretty good as you were going through Genesis 1. Didn't the plants come on day 3? Pastor, did you not just say this is day 6? I'm confused. Now, it's good if you're confused because I was confused. So what's going on here? And what's going on here, the key word here, there's some key phrases that are being used here. The bush of the field, the plant of the field. They're not 
there yet. Why are they not there yet? Why? Because there's no rain on the earth yet, and there was no man to work the ground yet. Now, what's fascinating is that if you look to after the fall in Genesis 3, you see these same words being used for bush of the field and plant of the field. In sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, and Genesis 3, verse 23. So he's not referring to all vegetation that came on the earth in day three. He's referring to specific plants that needed help, that needed tilling of the ground, and needed rain in order for them to come up. Not the plants that we're going to see in Eden. This are, these are the plants that came after the fall. And what, in other words, what it's saying here is before the fall began, before that happened. It's interesting here that the word for bush is likened unto the thorns and the thistles. The word here for plants of the field, as good prairie folks, you should know what this is. It is what? What kind of plants? Grains, right? It's the wheats, it's the barleys, it's that kind of plant. The kind that you need to, to, to go into a field, till it, plant it, and then pray for rain. The other reason that we know that this was post, he's talking about post-fall, is because rain didn't come until after the fall. Rain wasn't needed. The, 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 the garden, as we're going to see, was watered by springs, by rivers. There wasn't, wasn't needed. But after the fall, we see that rain becomes either a blessing or a curse. Right? Curse when? I.e. Genesis 6. When the rains came and flooded the earth... God's judgment, but also can be used as a blessing. And when, when the farmers are planted their fields, anyone, like, anyone here a farmer? It's like, we're in Calgary. Okay, there's a couple, okay? And, 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 and maybe you grew up on a farm with my grandparents, with sets of grandparents, we're farmers, so I understand that there's a time where you're just like, you're on your knees whether you're a Christian or not, because you need rain, Right? And, and if God doesn't bring the rain, the fields don't come up, right? There is no produce. So when God sends the rains, as he says that he does both to the unbeliever and to the believer, his common grace, he does so so that if they, the, the, there's a blessing involved there. So can be a curse, can be a blessing. And so what we see here is pre-fall garden, the plants were watered in a different way as we see here in verse 6. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Now, this word for mist, that's what the ESV said. Other translations call it a spring. Other translations call it uh, a flow of water. What was it? The answer is, no one knows for sure, okay? That's, that's the bottom line. But if you kind of piece everything together, and we're going to see that there's like four rivers coming out of the garden, it would seem like this, there's a lot of water in this area. Uh, this, this, this area was likened to, uh, if, you've, if you've ever gotten to the area around the Nile, 
the Nile will kind of overflow its banks, and it's like one of these most fertile places on the earth. This is the idea where there's just, there's just plenty of water. There, there, there is no need for rains. There's no praying for rain. There, God is continually making this place a place of fertility. And so God is preparing a land for the man. But in telling of this creation in the land which he placed, the text anticipates how the land will suffer from the effects of Adam's sin. This is what we're seeing in this section. So, now that the land is ready, it's ready for the man. It says in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Yahweh Elohim, we're told, creates the man from the ground. Now, what's really cool about the Hebrew, and I'm no Hebrew scholar by any means, all right? But what's, what's cool is the ground is called Adama. And man is formed, and his name is Adam. Man, just a heads up, the word for man in Hebrew is Adam, okay? So Adam comes from Adama. And God, we're told, forms him together. The, the idea is here like an artist. This is, is, this, is this a remarkable thing when you think about this, right? I don't know why all week long I've been thinking about Lord of the Rings, you know? You know, the, the orcs coming under the ground, you know, the, you're right? I'm like, well, that wasn't quite like that for sure, okay? Well, instead here we see is God, and there's this picture of intimacy, of, of personalness. Where, where God is, is forming the man from the ground. And then what's remarkable is that there's, there seems to be just a body there at that point. The, the work is not yet done. The body has been made from the ground. And now it says that he breathes into the man's nostrils the breath of life. And, and when you read again in the Hebrew, there's this, this, there's this picture of close intimacy. Like, like that God is right down there with his creation. God, again, we're reminded, has set humanity apart from all the rest of creation. As we talked about and as we looked at Genesis 1, every single person on this earth is special and important and has worth because God has created them. Just do this. Where does that come from? It comes from God. Whether you believe in him this morning or not, you have life because he's given it to you. And we see here this intimate picture of the first man being formed from the ground. Note the man of, what does it say there? Dust. <laughs> the man of dust Again, pointing forward to after the fall in Genesis 3, to dust you will return. As much as man tries to become God, he is dust. God is great, we are not, and yet we have special significance to him as his creation. And the whole rest of the Bible is about man and what God has done on his behalf. This is just a remarkable thing. 
Ross says this, this breath brings more than animation to the man of earth, right? It's not, it's not just like this zombie walking around with life now, right? Like this, there's so much more going on than just now a, a living being. In short, he says, we may conclude the moral capacity is granted to human beings by virtue of this inbreathing. This breathing in brings spiritual understanding, a functioning conscience. It truly is the breath of life. It produces life. And this is what God has done in, in creating humanity, the man. Truly, he is God's person. He has created him. And again, I would just remind us that every single person here has been created by him. Psalm 139, again, reminded reminder of, of the fact that we've been knit together in our mother's room by the Creator. He, he didn't just simply say, okay, I made Adam. There's going to be the whole rib thing coming up here, right? Ladies, that's where you came in, all right? And, 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 and then he's just like, all right, it's up to you guys now. I'm out. He is very much involved in his creation still today. So God is personal he cares about his creation, and he's made mankind uniquely from the rest of creation and set them apart, set them, and created them according to his image. What does God's kingdom look like? God's people, secondly, in God's place. God's people in God's place. We see in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. After the, the forming of the man, we are told about this unique location on earth that God has made. Where we are told that it is in the east, right? We're like, well, that's helpful. Well, again, remember original audience, all we know for sure, and so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time figuring out where these rivers are and stuff today. All we know for sure, it was east of where they were currently at. It was east of Canaan. Where exactly, no one knows for sure, right? No one knows for sure. There, there's, there's, there's guesses, but there's this little thing called a flood in Genesis 6 that kind of changed the whole way the world looked, all right? So, so we don't know for sure, but it was east of the current location. This garden is, is as I said, a unique place. The, the Hebrew word for garden, the root word, it means to be enclosed, fenced off, protected. The garden here probably denotes an enclosed, protected area where the flora flourishes. It's a, it's a unique place. And God chooses to put Adam in this place. And as we're going to see in Genesis 3, it is a place where God comes and goes. He comes into the presence, or the Adam and Eve are able to come into God's presence in this place. This is paradise. The, the word for Eden, it, it is a word that can mean pleasure, delight, abundance. It's a remarkable place, and we're told that this is where God decides to place the man that he had formed. Right? He doesn't put him in a desert. doesn't put him in... A frozen tundra, right? I think we can safely say Eden was not in Canada, okay? We can safely say that. This was, a, it was, a, it was a, 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 just a remarkable paradise. And God 
Out of all the places he can choose, he chooses, chooses to place them there. A place of perfection. A place, as we're going to see as we continue our, our study of Genesis 2 and 3, a place where sin is not allowed. Walkie says this, the Garden of Eden is a temple garden, represented later in the tabernacle. Cherubim protected its sanctity so that sin and death are excluded. Active faith is a pre- prerequisite for this home. Doubt of God's word or character cannot reside in the garden. And so it's a place of perfection. It's a place of beauty. And, and, and uh, this quote from Walke, I'm just we're going to see this as we continue to study, but the tabernacle, the temple, are continually pointing us back to the garden. The, the cherubim that we're going to see in Genesis 3 guarded entrance into Eden. The cherubim in the temple are what? Are before the Holy of Holies, guarding entrance into the presence of God. There's these parallels over and over again. But this place that God chooses to place man is perfect. It is paradise. What does God's kingdom look like? God's people in God's place with God's provision. He expands on what this paradise looked like as we look at verses 9 through 14. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Abundant provision is what we're talking about here. It wasn't like there's the apple tree or the orange tree. You choose. Like we're talking abundant provision. Likely no Brussels sprouts here or cauliflower or, no, I don't know. Maybe you like that and maybe it was there, okay? But, 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 it, but, but, but the picture is that it's all really, really good, right? It's very good. And, 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 there, and, and in the midst of this garden, there are two trees that we're going to look at in just a moment. But, but for now, I want us to just look at how amazing this creation was. So there's food that's springed up that's pleasant to the sight, good for food. Then, as, as you continue on, where, verse 10 shows us that there's no need to worry about rains to water the land. As I mentioned, there's, there seems to be an abundance of water here. From this water so, source, we see that it's divided into four rivers. And we're, na- we're given the names of the four rivers. Two of the rivers we're familiar with, the names, the Tigris, the Euphrates. The other two we really don't know anything about, right? We don't know much about. And as I mentioned, again, to try to figure out where exactly this was is difficult. But we, we see here this focus of this world that God has created. There's precious gems in this world. There's gold mentioned. It's emphasizing the beauty and abundance of God's provision. That everything is exclaiming that everything that you could ever want is here. So, so again, keep that in mind as we're going to get into Genesis 3, because the lie of Satan is like God's holding stuff back from you. You know, he's not really that good. He's not, not really that caring. He, you know, he, he, he hasn't really blessed you. I mean, the picture here is like abundant provision and blessing. This is, this is where Adam has been placed. But we see there are these, there's these two trees in the garden. 
Some would suggest that when it says in the midst of the garden, it's literally in the middle of the garden. One was known as the tree of life. Uh, Another way you could say it is the tree that produces life. As we get into Genesis 3, we're going to see that this tree, if you ate of it, you would live forever. Note there is no prohibition from eating of this tree. That tree is there, available. You may eat of it if you so choose. And then there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As we're going to get to verse 17, as we've already read, there is a prohibition not to eat of that tree. And these trees seem to be right beside each other. The warning in verse 17, you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Two trees, a choice to be made. Will you choose life or will you choose death? And in, and in and rest of the creation, is, there's, this, there's this, this picture of abundance. But there's one command in the midst of all that. Just don't eat of the one tree. And all of these blessings and everything that is here is yours to enjoy. This is the world that Adam was given. The creation that God had placed Adam in is very good. It is set, set up in such a way for man's special delight and benefit. Again, think about the original audience. Where are they at when they're reading about the Garden of Eden? They're in the wilderness, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's so hot, and they're so thirsty, and they're so hungry. Like, do you see those seams over and over again in Exodus? Like, why did, you know, oh man, it was so amazing when we were in Egypt as slaves. Like, that's how bad it is in the wilderness, that they're wishing they were slaves again. And so as they're reading about the Garden of Eden, do you think they needed to be convinced that this was not amazing? It can mean a place where there's like water everywhere, where we could eat of any tree that we want, where there's abundant food, except for the one tree. Like, that sounds like paradise. That would be amazing. And what's really fascinating, as we think about this, what has God promised to them as they sit in the wilderness? To go into what? What is what's the land called? The promised land? What, what's there? A land flowing with milk and honey? Beautiful land. Abundant provision. That's what I'm offering you, Israel. If you would what? If you would obey me. Again, we think about the tabernacle. It's also pointing back to this original paradise. Matthew's, uh, I just want to read what he has to say here. Gold and onyx are reminiscent of the tabernacle's furnishings and priestly garments. Gold overlay finished the, sac- uh, finished the sacred furniture of the tabernacle. Particularly important was the onyx stone of the priestly ephod, upon which inscribed the names of the twelve tribes and the onyx of the high priest's breastplate. This language supports that we have all- what we've already said. The garden is indicative of the presence of God. Moreover, the rivers, Euphrates and Tigris, along with the Nile, are future bo- boundaries descriptive of the land pledged to Abraham. 
As God had prepared and assigned Eden to Adam's care, the paradise of Canaan's land was consigned to Abram and his future descendants. I will give you all of this, Israel. I am Yahweh, your God. It's fascinating. God's people in God's place with God's provision. This was all part of God's original kingdom for man. What does God's kingdom look like? Well, as we said, God's people in God's place with God's provision for God's purpose. For God's purpose. We are here for a purpose and it is God's purpose. It says in verse 15 that the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, this is, um, this is one of those times where just reading the English, we can, we can get into tangents that maybe aren't really helpful because you read that and you're like, yeah, they're supposed to be gardeners. Great. There's so much more going, going on than that. And, and, and again, it comes from looking at the, the Pentateuch as a whole. I want to first note, though, that as we, as we talked about rest last weekend, that there is what in this perfect paradise? Starts with a W. Work, right? There is work in the garden, in perfection, before the fall. After the fall, work is not very fun, okay? And is, is hard. And, and, and by the sweat of your brow will everything come about. But before the fall, we are still told to work. You know, it just wasn't like, here's a hammock, enjoy. Just lay up your feet for the rest of your life, right? Now, now if you've had opportunity to do that, eventually what? It does get old, right? You, you want to do something. And so work is a blessing. But the work here is not just manual labor. There's, there's something else going on here. The first word for work can also be translated serve. So we have this word serve and keep. Ross says here, these two verbs are used throughout the Pentateuch for spiritual service. Throughout the Pentateuch, it, it's used uh, of what the Levites were supposed to do. This, these are the words that are used for them. Keep is used for keeping the commandments and taking heed to God's word. Serve describes the worship and service of the Lord. The highest privilege, privilege a person can have. Whatever activity the man was to engage in in the garden, and there's no reason to doubt that physical activity was not involved, it was described in terms of spiritual service to the Lord. And so Adam is to be a servant of the Lord. The, the word is to, to, to worship the Lord. This is his main objective in the garden, is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. This is why he's been placed on this earth. This word for keep, it can also mean to guard, to keep from potential harm. Isn't that interesting? What potential harm could happen to the garden? We see in Genesis 3, we're going to get into it, but Genesis 3, Eve is being tempted. What's Adam doing? Is he guarding? Is he protecting the garden from danger? No, he's just sitting there. 
And so they get kicked out of the garden and angels then take up the job of protecting the garden. But that was the original job is to, to guard the garden, to keep the garden, to obey God's commandments. What are the commandments? We're going to see in verses 16 and 17. It's really fascinating when you think about it that, that Adam's ultimate job was to be a priest on the earth. That's, that's what the Levites were doing and serving God in the way they were doing. He, he was to do. That was his original purpose, to, to worship him and to walk in his commandments. To seek the will of the Father in all that he did. So what does king, God's kingdom look like? God's people, in God's place, with God's provision, for God's purpose, under God's protection. Under God's protection. We see in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yahweh Elohim. Here, here's, here's the paradise that I've given you. I just have some final instructions. One, you may enjoy this whole thing. It's yours. Like, how amazing is that? Like, this is paradise. And he's like, go ahead. Eat of every tree. Except for one. Just one. That's it. One prohibition. I'm giving you. That's, that's all I'm giving you. The abundance of food that is here, it's all yours. You will bring me worship by eating of every tree of the garden. This abundant provision is yours. But you will show that you obey me by keeping this one commandment. Again, serve, keep, work, keep. By keeping this one commandment, just don't eat of that one tree. Now, there, obviously, there's something supernatural going on with these trees, right? There's not poison, Right? These trees aren't poison or whatever would give you eternal life. Obviously, the power is in God. He's just placed these in the, in the garden to say, eat of this tree and have life eternally. It's given to you. Eat of this tree and you will surely die. He warns him. He tells him of the consequences of his choice. If he says, if he walks in obedience, then he will be able to enjoy everything else in the garden. What does it take? Faith. It takes trust. That what God is saying is good. That what he's saying is best. God's commandments are good for his servants. They're protection for his people. Obviously, this was the first commandment, and since then there have been many commandments that have come, but every commandment is good for his people. Every commandment is life for his people. And you and I, let's be honest, don't believe that often. Faithful obedience. That's what's required. And in return, they would receive blessing, they would receive blessing and life. We, we don't know what would have happened if they would have just went and taken the apple. 
of the tree of life. With that other tree just, you know, shriveled up and died, I don't know, <laughs> right? But we never get the opportunity to see. The prohibition against eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, Matthew says, gave Adam opportunity to worship God through loyal devotion. He had a choice to worship him through loyal devotion. Luther likened the tree to Adam's church, altar, and pulpit. Here he was to yield to God the obedience he owed, give recognition to the word and will of God, give thanks to God, and call upon God to aid against temptation. If Adam did all this, he would remain under the blessing and protection of the Lord. So it is with God's people, all God's people. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. What's sad about this world, when you think about the way God has set it up, is there anything in this would say that God is bad? That, that God in any, any way should, should be put down in any way based on what we've seen here in the creation account? No, I mean, he ought to be worshipped. We, 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 our minds ought to be blown that the God of the universe would do anything like this for us who are dust. But, but he provides all that, and, and what the world does in return is they walk in rebellion against his commandments, and when they suffer from their sin, who do they blame? God, the one who warned them not to do it. The one who told them, if you choose that, you will die. And yet, we continue to do that, and if we're being honest, even as believers, this last week... We chose at times to say, I'm going to do it my way versus God's way. Why? Because we're prideful. Because at the core, we don't really believe that God is good. We believe the lie of Satan. And I'm praying this morning that we would open our eyes to see this paradise that God offers to his people. That all his ways are good and that he ought to be submitted to. What we've seen here this morning, that God gave man the ability and the responsibility to serve him and worship him. God placed a man, man in an ideal world with an abundant provision and gave him only one prohibition. All he needed to do was look around him and see that God was good. And put his trust in him and live his life believing that God's word is good and protection for him. He needed to remember that God is God and that he is dust. That he is creation. And submit to the Lord's, God's lordship. And again, I want to remind us that this is, this is a challenge for the nation of Israel. As they get ready to enter into the promised land. Now, we're like... 3,500 years later, right? What happened? We already know the story of what happened. God took him into the promised land. When they, put, when they put their trust in him, what happened? Blessing. Abundant blessing. And when they chose to ignore God and walk in rebellion against him, they received cursing. And they would repent And God would show mercy 
and grace and pour out blessing and they would walk in rebellion and go against God's ways and that cycle went on and on and on until God finally said, I'm done. I'm removing my spirit from the temple. He removed his presence out of Israel and he removed his people out of the land. They suffered the consequences for their sin. So what can we learn from this? What are the implications for you and I today? As we think about what Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Well, praise God. God wasn't finished with humanity after Israel rebelled against him over and over and over again. He said he would send a Messiah, and he did. And that Messiah came to the earth He became the second Adam, and he walked in obedience to the will of the Father every day of his life. Never once did he disobey. He walked in obedience right through to the day when he laid down his life for all who would put their trust in him. Jesus went upon the cross. He took my sin. He took your sin that separates us from God. And he placed it on himself. And the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. And your debt was paid in full. Anyone who who stops the rebellion against God, repents of their sin, and places their hope and trust in Jesus Christ is forgiven that sin. And they are now reconciled to God. And what we see in the New Testament over and over again, that you are called God's people. You're children of God. If you're in Christ this morning. You've been redeemed through Christ, and now you're in God's place. Well, not all the way there yet. But what do we have the privilege to do as children of God? We can now enter into the Holy of Holies, What was so significant about that that curtain tearing in two in the temple was what? No longer can sin keep us separated from God. Through Christ, we can now come into the Holy of Holies, into his presence and have fellowship with him, to, to, to be with him. And one day soon, we're going to be in a place with rivers, with abundant fruit, with gold and precious jewels. And we will be in his presence forevermore. That's the day we long for. But for now, we get to come into his presence through prayer. With God's provision, Jesus came that we might have life and what? Have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. God still is not in the business of being a miser. He is a abundant provider for his people. After Jesus has risen from the grave, he met with his disciples and he said this in John 20, 21 and 22. I think this is so remarkable in light of what we've read this morning. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, what? He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, he has breathed on us and we have now been given the Holy Spirit. 
And we have been made new creations. We've been given a new heart and a new mind. The Spirit of God empowers us every day to walk according to His ways. The Spirit of God counsels us and helps us. Why? For God's purpose. So that we might walk in His ways, walk in obedience to His Word. So that we might go into this world and proclaim the hope of the gospel. So that we might see in, in, in a day-by-day thing, God's kingdom coming to this earth where people are being, that people that were separated from him are now being reconciled to him. People that now can come into his presence for God's purpose. That's why we're here, to bring him glory and honor, to bring him worship. If you're God's child this morning, you're not here for you. You're here for him. And it is the best possible job description you can have. Under God's protection, God has given us his word this morning to protect, protect us, not to hurt you, not to take things away from you. And I know there's people here, some of you young adults, young people, you've been coming to church all your life, you know everything about the gospel. You could recite it inside and out. But you're still not convinced that God is good. You still think that he's keeping back from you, that you're going to miss out on all the grandeur of this world. And you exchange uh, the truth for a lie. And I just want to warn you this morning, if you continue to walk in that way, you will suffer. I'm praying that 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 would be temporary. But if you continue to reject God, you will suffer eternally. You will die eternally if you reject Christ. So today, repent and place your trust in him. So this morning we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let me pray. God, we're so thankful for your word this morning. God, that you have reminded us of your goodness, of your personal care, your comfort, your provision, God, that you've given to us. It's also remarkable, God, when we consider that we are but dust. God, we we praise you this morning. We ask, Lord, for forgiveness. For the times when we make life about us rather than doing what you've called us to do, Lord, to to bring you worship and glory through the lives that you have now given us as new creations in you. Lord, we thank you that we are God's children through Jesus Christ. Lord, we do thank you that, that we have hope for eternity. Lord, we cannot wait to be in paradise with you. What an amazing place that will be. We cannot wait to see what it's going to be like. But Lord, in the meantime, Lord, would you help us to grow in faith? Lord, would you help us to put our trust in you, to know that all that you say is good, and to trust that, Lord, in Christ, we have all that we would ever need. There's nothing else that our heart should desire beyond you, God. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust. For your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.